Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's taken me a while to learn that in a relationship, having time apart in the heat of an argument is okay. It's not fatal. Because, you know, perhaps you've had like a parent that leaves or something like that. So in your system, in your body, that feels real that you're going to be abandoned because of what's happening you need to have the right relationship and be with the right person that's able to healthily communicate we need a bit of space and however long that space is going to be and then come back and then once you have enough experiences of the coming back the kind of reconciling then you're like oh okay okay this is okay so the next yeah. time it happens you don't feel like everything is going to fall apart Hi, and welcome to Alonement, the podcast about time alone and why it matters. I'm Francesca Spector, host of this podcast and author of Alonement, a book based on this very show. I'm also a reformed extreme extrovert who, a few years ago, discovered the life-changing benefits of spending time alone. Each week, I interview someone I'm curious about to discover what solo time means to them. In every conversation, we celebrate the unique benefits of time spent alone, regardless of your age, life stage, or relationship status. Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. My guest for this week's episode is podcaster and author, Kagi Dunlop, whom you might also recognize as a former cast member on the rather well-known reality TV show, Made in Chelsea. Kagi has since reached a whole different audience through her show Saturn Returns, which explores the coming of age that happens somewhere around your late 20s and early 30s. It's united a community as they navigate the shared challenges and opportunities that come with this age. I discovered the show last year, unsurprisingly, just as I was turning 31. And after getting in touch with Kagi to tell her how much I loved it, I was lucky enough to be invited on to be a guest on her show in an episode released this May. Afterwards, Kagi agreed to return the favour and to come on and talk all things alone time with me, together with discussing her brilliant debut book, A Memoir Meets Guidebook, co-written with astrology expert Nora Borney, also called Saturn Returns. In this episode, we talk about everything from the loneliness that Kagi faced when she pursued her singing career in LA to, on the more positive side, how to navigate the vulnerable early stages of a blossoming relationship in a healthy way. We talk about attachment theory, healthy aloneness while in a relationship, and also a bit about how Kagi met her partner, which is a really sweet story. I also ask Kagi, because I was curious about this, how solo holidays work out when you're, you know, a bit of a recognisable face from reality TV. This season is brought to you by West Lab, the UK's number one trusted bath salt brand. Their best-selling Dead Sea bath salt range contains minerals that come from the famous waters themselves. Fun fact, it's actually a lake, not a sea, that's found in the lowest point of the earth and was the world's first spa, visited by Cleopatra herself. Dead Sea Salt is a skin hero containing a unique blend of magnesium, calcium and potassium, which is brilliant for protecting and repairing your skin barrier and managing conditions like eczema, psoriasis, acne and sensitive skin, together with soothing any aching muscles. 
I'm also kind of in love with magnesium for its mood balancing qualities. It's nice to think that your mind and body are being looked after while you're soaking there in the tub. West Lab Dead Sea Bath Salts are vegan, cruelty-free and suitable for the whole family, including babies aged three months and up. Use the code ALONEMENT15 for 15% off when you spend £10 or more. T's and C's in the show notes. Hey, Kagi, it's so nice to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. It's a bit, it's a bit miserable outside, which is, uh, I'm trying not to let it impact my mood. But aside from that, pretty good. Yeah, it is miserable. It's been oppressively miserable for the last yeah, I know. four months or so. What, what's your, uh, what's your strategy for getting through this time? Stay inside. I mean, I'm quite a recluse anyway. So when it's <laughs> like this, it just gives me the perfect excuse. I'm like, oh, well, you know, and people tend to cancel plans. I love it when people cancel plans on me. And I think we talked about this when we last spoke, but I have a tendency to overdo the isolation. And for me, actually, it's about making sure I get out there a bit. But when the weather's like this, like no one wants to do anything. See, I really envy you because I always, I think I put the idea of sort of coziness and staying in on a bit of a pedestal. Uh, and I love the idea that that would be a kind of happy, almost happy side effect of this weather. But honestly, by like midday or something, I get really sad. <laughs> yeah. And I think we spoke about this when I was on your podcast, the sort of fact that you are inherently an introvert and I'm inherently an extrovert. And I think there's always that way that you're wired that sort of then comes out on days like this because you think, oh, well, yeah, this this is either feeding or not feeding my natural inclination. So Yeah, it feeds mine, but I also need to not overdo it because then I can fall into a bit of a sort of depression cloud. Like even recently, because I haven't been going out and seeing my friends or I hadn't been and I was feeling starting to feel quite low. And I also hadn't been like exercising properly. And I just had, was very in my head about work and things and just spiraling a little bit. My boyfriend was like, have you seen your friends recently? I was like, no, that's not why. It's like, <laughs> I think that might be a good idea. And I actually went last week and had, I didn't organize it because I don't organize anything. I'm useless, but one of my best friends organized for us to have lunch just at the pub and it was four of us and it just completely recharged me and gave me that kind of connection that I obviously was craving so it's a balancing act yeah that is so nice and also so lovely from your boyfriend's perspective as well I think being someone who encourages you to see your friends or do those things that are healthy because I think in a sort of less healthy relationship it's quite tempting to say oh what a, a are you not happy? Am I not enough for you? And I think that, I don't know, in, in these sort of more adult, mature relationships, it's really lovely to know that we can accept that we're not everything to each other. And actually, love is encouraging one another to do these things for yourself or for your yeah. greater well-being. Yeah, I think a healthy relationship is about recognizing that there is healthy interdependence rather than codependency. And that means that one has to nourish their life independently. And then, you know, you healthily kind of co-create together. But I think in many ways, we, I guess I probably did growing up, we romanticized quite codependent relationship and I was quite fast to abandon other aspects of my life. So for me, that's been a big lesson and a big part of maturing as a person to see that, you know, within your life, there's a pie chart of all these different areas and your relationship is just one section and it can be thriving into its fullest and you can still feel low and sad and not yourself because you haven't nourished the other aspects. And I think sometimes, like you just mentioned, you know, if that's happening, then the other person can be like, well, am I not enough? Do you not love me? You're not happy with me? And it's, it's not about that. We're very complex multifaceted creatures and we need to kind of nourish and water our our own gardens i love that because it actually reminds me of there's the section in the book where you talk about how back in your 20s that that pie chart a big chunk of that was 
romantic relationships. And I, I laughed so much because I was so related, even though I think the actual fact of it was that my friendships and family and, and alone time, I suppose, were vital parts of what would have propped me up. It was the, the romantic part that sort of almost eclipses everything else. So I really like that you shifted that balance. I think we all, we all sort of get there, don't we? And we all sort of move towards it. But I don't know. I often think it would have been so lovely if someone could have warned us of this in our sort of early 20s before we, <laughs> we all got in those well, in sort of codependent relationship. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily completely gender specific, but I would say that it happens more to women because we are programmed and conditioned to abandon a lot of aspects of our life. You know, it wasn't that long ago when you would only work up until the time you met your husband, if you think about that, and then you would just stop working and that was just what was done. Yeah, I think I was reading that up until the 1970s, it it wasn't legal for women to have bank accounts in their own names yeah. outside of you couldn't it was honestly i think it was like the 80s if not later in australia you couldn't have a passport without your husband's signature or signing it or something like that women couldn't get mortgages like it honestly it the the spectrum of things that we weren't or weren't able to do that wasn't that long ago we still are harboring the residue or the sort of hangover of that it passes down and it wasn't it wasn't very long ago and how topical because we're recording this the day after international women's Women's day Day. and i think even just having that historical perspective at the moment it's it feels almost compassionate right because i think we put so much on ourselves to be at a certain place not even just as individuals but as women being comfortable with certain aspects of independence and I think actually just seeing how recently in history this wasn't even an option on that question of independence and and of aloneness that I guess has sort of pervaded the beginning of this conversation I want to sort of almost start that alone aspect of this conversation by asking you what your relationship with the word alone is I've always found the idea of being alone a safe place from quite a young age and had a, a positive relationship to that word because by nature, I was always quite introspective. I would always be writing poetry and writing in my diary and very, very thoughtful and always observing the world as if I wasn't really part of it. Like in, in I remember being very young and observing the way people behaved and thinking, that I needed to learn that way of behaving. It didn't feel natural for me. So I always felt like a bit of an outlier, a bit of an outsider from society. So I found a lot of solace in alone time. And also, many people wouldn't know this, but I was pursuing music for a while before I was doing the podcast. And music was an interesting one because I never sung in front of anyone growing up. I was absolutely terrified to do that. My family had no idea I liked to sing, but when I was alert, I would sing. So when my, like, when I was old enough and my parents would leave the house to go to the shop or go to the butcher or whatever it might be, and they would say, Oh, we're going out. And I'd say, How long will you be? So I knew how long I had to sing. And I would just, spend that time on my own just singing and then the keys would go in the door and I'd be like wrong and it became this sort of secret thing that I just did for myself on my own and I loved it and it brought me so much joy so I never feared being alone it was always like a sort of sanctuary for me that alone time and I think that's really carried on as a thread throughout my life and something that I've actually it's been a need. It's been a real non-negotiable need for me that at times I probably haven't recognized, especially in relationship when it might be hard if the person doesn't have that requirement to say, oh, I actually need to be alone. And even when I went traveling, I did um, a gap year and I went traveling with my friend Millie and I would just have to go off on my own. And she got it. She didn't need it, but she knew that it was important for me. And I would just go for an afternoon and write in my diary. And that's always when my mind is its most 
sort of potent and imaginative and curious and able to kind of make sense of things, I guess. But that being said, there was a period where I moved to LA when I was 27 and I'd left a relationship. You know, he wanted to settle down, have children, and he was a bit older than me and it just didn't feel right. I don't think it was the right person and it definitely wasn't the right time. And I was craving freedom. And in LA, that was a time that although I had some amazing moments on the whole, I look back on it as quite a lonely time. And that was different from being alone. It was lonely. I think it's really beautiful how you tell the story of growing up and being this creative person who would write poetry and sing and and do all these wonderful things by yourself. To imagine that you then weren't comfortable being alone when you were someone to whom it came naturally is, I suppose, a sign that something was going awfully wrong in LA in terms of how you were feeling. I often think that when we feel lonely in our alone time, it's a sign that we're sort of almost not not nurturing ourselves the right way that we haven't given ourselves that positive positive quality time in order to then come comfortably back to ourselves. Actually, it reminds me of something in your book when you talk about the sort of internal world and the external world. Do you think that there was a sort of hole there where your internal world wasn't being nurtured in order for you to then feel comfortable in it? It was actually almost the opposite. So I think what happened during that time was I recognized that. So in my earlier twenties and then for, you know, up until 27, probably I was too much in the external validation. And I believe that actually I I said in the book, you know, I was very driven by external validation and, and the, the faults in that. But actually, I think we do need healthy balance of external validation plus internal validation. So I would say that that was out of balance. And then when I went to LA, I I spent too much time on my own, actually. So it wasn't that I was unhappy in that alone time. I just took it too far because I didn't know how to stay anchored and true in one version of myself and live by my values and my integrity whilst navigating through life because I wanted to be liked and loved by everybody. And that had been something I'd done in my twenties. And so I was constantly seeking that validation and in a way that would make me abandon my own integrity a lot of the time. So I think LA really represented that sort of fertile void where I was really going inward and trying to live by my own virtues and values, but and cultivate them, but I wasn't quite confident enough to put myself out there in that capacity. I wasn't, I wasn't that sure of who I was outside of seeking the approval of others. I'm going to come back to that word that you used, anchored or anchor, because I think that's a really interesting concept. I had a guest, I had Connie Hook on the podcast a a few seasons ago, and she was talking about how alone time for her, and and she's an introvert, she always has been, alone time for her was sort of underpinned by also having anchors of people that she trusted and loved and made her feel comfortable. And it it's interesting because it made me think when you were talking about traveling with your friend Millie, and, and just for the purpose of listeners, this is Millie McIntosh, right? Mm-hmm. You were on the series Made in Chelsea with. So mm-hmm. you were traveling with one of your best friends and you were able to say to her quite comfortably, which is lovely in a friendship, I always think, that you needed then to have time by yourself and you were able to do that without sort of spending all your time worrying about what that would say about the friendship or whether that person would be offended. But was there something about also having her as an anchor that even in her absence physically, if you were sort of away doing your own thing, allowed you to then feel comfortable? Probably. And that might have been what was lacking in LA. I didn't have that core community of of friends that made me, even if I wasn't seeing them all the time, made me feel grounded and safe. I felt at sea adrift without that community. So I was just kind of trying to make new friends and and form those connections. And I think that that's what's coming back to London and having those friendships that are very, very solid and stable helps tremendously. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with 
through their Saturn return or whether they want to look at it astrologically or not through their late 20s and early 30s is finding a tribe, finding a community of like-minded people that see them for who they are and value them for who they are and Mm -hmm. don't make them feel like they need to change or alter themselves in any way. And let's come to this term, Saturn Returns, because obviously it's the title of your podcast, of your book. And it's a concept that I'll admit before listening to your brilliant podcast, which I started doing about a year ago, I I wasn't familiar with the concept. So just for the purpose, again, of, of listeners who might not quite understand what that means, could you sort of explain what the Saturn Return is? Sure. So your Saturn return is something that happens in your late 20s to early 30s as Saturn, the planet, returns to the same place in the sky it was when you were born. And within the realms of astrology, this is viewed as your initiation into adulthood and your cosmic coming of age. And you will be faced with a lot of tough life lessons if you haven't been living in a sort of Saturnian fashion, let's say. But if you have, it might just mean cementing things that have been in motion for a while. That might mean a job promotion or a marriage or children, perhaps, or getting the house you've been working for. But for others, it can be very disruptive, like it was for me. And it can turn everything upside down. But it's important to note that it does so, so that you can build things on a healthy and steady foundation. So if you've been living your life inauthentically, it will strip away things that are not meant for you. And that might mean a very sudden, unexpected breakup. It might mean the loss of a job, friendship shifting. Everything can kind of get thrown upside down. And that's why it's viewed as a sort of people get a bit satinophobic, I guess, about its arrival. But ultimately, you do come out the other side grateful for everything that you experienced during that time. And that's, in essence, what I tried to communicate with the book and the podcast is to help alleviate those feelings of anxiety or isolation and make people recognize that there is a rhythm and a reason for why things are happening the way they are and to recognize that you're not alone in what you're experiencing. What does satinophobia look like? How does that manifest? So like being satinophobic or satinophobia, it's like, oh my God, my Saturn, you know, a lot of people will come to my live shows and they'll say, so I've put the date of my Saturn return. I looked it up and it's this date. What should I be afraid of? I'm like, that was never my intention with doing this, you know, creating this. But it, I understand it because it's viewed as quite a punitive planet that will be quite aggressive and ruthless in its manner for getting you on the right track or in alignment. So people are apprehensive of what will happen. And to a degree, so they should be because it can throw everything upside down. Which is chaotic. I think, you know, change is really scary. Mm -hmm. But then I suppose not confronting change is scary as well. The idea that your life would be exactly the same as the 20s. That's a terrifying prospect for me. Well, this is the thing. With your Saturn return, you don't have a choice. It's not like, oh, I'm going to choose to change it will it will force it on you that's usually and that's why it can feel especially if you're like a bit of a control freak or which I probably have am in some ways which yeah I I like I thought by the end of my 20s I was desperately trying to control things and thought I wanted my life to go in a particular trajectory and it just the more I tried to force it and control it the less you know, the more resistance I faced. And I've ended up in a career and in a part of the world and in, you know, a different relationship to all the ones that I thought I was going to be in at that point. And we expect by the time we're 30 that everything is just going to file itself into some sort of meaning and just be like, this is my life. And often that's not the case. It can just be the beginning. And what would you say for the astrological skeptics out there of which I you know I actually will hold my hands up and say I'm one I don't particularly believe in star signs and yet I found something very compelling in your book where you say the Saturn returns it's valid if you believe in it if you sort of engage with that dialogue what what would you say to someone who isn't quite able to necessarily believe in that at the moment or ever do you think it would still be very useful I think for that you know each to their own What I enjoy and love about astrology is it gives things a unifying framework that's also deeply personal and unique, which 
is quite unusual. And if, you know, many people that listen to the podcast or that have read the book will actually say, they'll put up a thing on social media saying, I love this. I don't believe in astrology, but I love this. So it's personal development through the lens of astrology. I was brought up in quite a Christian framework. So I've always had, I've always been interested in religion, in philosophy, and kind of exploring these things and trying them on for size. And I, I just love the umbrella of astrology, especially Saturn returns for giving people a framework for navigating what is a, de- a very challenging period and transition in one's One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Adult life. So if you take away the astrology, the lessons and the things that we're discussing are just as valid or important. But I, it gives me a sort of magic to it. It gives it this feeling of things are happening for a reason, that there's a construct in the chaos. And I prefer to live my life in that way rather than not. And I've always kind of held that belief even before I was, the, yeah, I've always wanted to believe in, in something. I think it's important for the human condition to believe in something outside of ourselves. And I don't really, I'm not precious about that being astrology. I think for any individual, whatever that is that gives you a sense of purpose and meaning, that's fantastic. And whatever language they want to use, is their preference and their prerogative. I personally use astrology now. It may shift. I might have a moment in five years' time where I'm like, actually channel it in a different direction. But for the time being, it's really helped me feel anchored. And so to talk about how Saturn Return, you know, that knowledge, that concept has played itself out in your own life. So you went through a breakup and then you went through lockdown subsequently post this breakup at a time when you were beginning your podcast and, and almost having this amazing pivot in your career as well. Could you tell me a little bit more about that transitional time for you? Yeah. So it's funny actually, because Nora, who's the astrologer for Saturn Returns, she and I connected when I was probably 28. So I think I was coming back and forth from LA and I was pursuing music at the time, but I'd been told, I can't remember exactly when or where, but someone said, someone introduced me to the concept of Saturn Returns and immediately I was fascinated. I was just completely drawn to everything about it. And I, I knew immediately that I wanted to create something like a brand or a project at the time I was thinking TV around Saturn Returns. And then I kind of parked it, came back to London, met my ex-boyfriend. We then were in a relationship for the best part of a year and kind of forgot about Saturn. Like It wasn't like I was going through my Saturn Return being like, oh, I'm going through my Saturn Return. I just sort of got on with life. And then everything kind of came, the rug was pulled from underneath me when that relationship ended. And that was a big catalyst for me, just kind of waking the fuck up and being like, okay, 
I'm not living my life the way that I'm supposed to. That was not the relationship I was supposed to be in. I knew it wasn't and I was denying my intuition and I'm not, I'm not living to my highest potential at all. But I was pursuing something that I've been pursuing for so long that I felt like I had to keep going. Like I felt that pressure as if it was coming from external places, but it was actually just all internalized. It was my own voice in my head. And when I kind of made peace with that and let that go and kind of opened myself up to the possibility of something totally new, that's when Saturn Returns came back around because I was being asked by lots of people to do a podcast because I I don't know, I'd been in meetings and stuff and people kept saying, you should do a podcast, you should do a podcast. I actually started one when I was in LA, which was a very similar sort of structure and concept. But like many projects that I was doing at the time, I just was like, oh, do something else and didn't stick to it. So then I was like, that will be what Saturn Returns is. And because I'd actually then lived through it and experienced it, I felt stable enough to start putting it out there. Whereas before, I don't think I I did. Thank you for sharing that about the previous incarnation of the podcast, because I think that, you know, people see you and think sort of came out nowhere as in, in terms of relaunching yourself as a podcaster. And, and it, you know, everyone thinks everything's successful from day one, but it's actually really amazing and generous of you to share that journey. Yeah. And I, I found, um, I was looking through my Word documents, like that are all stored and I was trying to find the original thing I'd written for Saturn Returns. And then I found this reading that Nora had done. So when Nora and I first connected on Instagram and she was like, I'll do a reading for you. And she just did all this stuff. And she was like, yeah, you're about to go through your Saturn returns in it. And then was like, for your good, you, she was like, these are important things for you, blah, blah, blah. And underneath I wrote, I was like, guess what the project I'm, I've written is called. I was like, it's called Saturn returns. And that was from, you know, 2017 or something. I started writing like a whole script for that when I was in LA. So yeah, people think, you know, things are just, sometimes they are just an idea that comes, but usually they've been with you for a long time. I believe dreams and visions and ideas choose you and it's up to you to bring them into the material world. So when you see someone, and this happens a lot during people's Saturn return, they'll suddenly change direction and they'll start a brand or they'll get a new job and they'll just go into a completely different industry. And everyone's like, where did that come from? Like they, I had no idea that that was a thing. And usually they will have been sitting on that for years. It will be brewing in their mind. They'll have thought about every single way that they're going to do it. And then it's about using Saturn's energy to kind of materialize those things. Cause Saturn is associated with discipline, with structure, with boundaries, with authority, with responsibility. So it's like, that's the moment where you kind of take the vision and the idea and bring it to life. Mm, mm. So it makes know, sense that mine happened, you know, I brought Saturn Returns to life after my Saturn Returns. Yeah, completely. When it actually became more compelling to you as an idea because you'd really lived it and you really wanted to share that wisdom mm-hmm. of experience. I, I do think it's amazing how far these things go back because... I don't think we even know it for ourselves necessarily. I had the same thing with, with my podcast, with the concept of alonement years before. Even, I guess the story that I tell myself sometimes is that I had my breakup around, you know, circa age 27. You're probably smiling because you're thinking about <laughs> that is very Saturn returns, right? It was just pre like 27, 28. That's sort of on the cusp. But I'd actually. When I look back through my journals around the time of my relationship, I'd also, I suppose, been exploring the idea of what does independence look like in a relationship? Would we benefit from having some alone time? And I never realized that the seeds that, you know, the kernel of that idea was actually planted much earlier than I had maybe even given myself credit Mm. for. It wasn't just the sort of year between, you know, post my breakup and then actually launching. It was, it was a longer process than that. And it was kind of amazing to see those those roots coming about. Yeah, I think breakups are often rocket fuel for us getting things going. Most of mine have been because they kind of just wake you up. I mean, obviously they're fucking brutal at the time, but I've always learned so much more about myself from the experience. And I think, you know, that's the sort of beauty of 
love. I got myself to a point where I had to reprogram a lot of my understanding of partnership and relationship and the kind of person that I wanted to call into my life. And that required a lot of deep work. And it required not being in a relationship whilst I did that. So that when I was single throughout the pandemic, and then, I mean, I dated someone loosely, but it was never anything serious. And then when I met my partner, it was, I'd done a lot of work around nervous system. We often like romanticize when someone makes us feel super anxious or nervous and we can't speak and we measure our investment in someone by how they make us feel in that way rather than their behavior and their actions. So I was aware of all these components when I met my now boyfriend. And also to add a bit of context, he was actually my first crush when I was 13. So when I was 13... Not many people know that, but when I was 13, I went to boarding school. I had to leave because I was so homesick, but he was in the year above me and I was completely besotted by him. I used to write in my diary about him and everything. So, and then I kind of, you know, as we grew up, we were at university at the same time, but we never connected, already spoke. We had a couple of friends in common and then, yeah, I bumped into him in a field at a festival And it was the strange sort of, oh, I know you and you were very significant to 13-year-old me, but we also didn't know each other at the same time. And then that courtship was very slow in a healthy way. It was very measured. He was would always like make plans, take me out for dinners, just showed me a huge amount of respect. And I could tell that this was someone worth investing in. And he was getting to know me in a way that felt very healthy. And we didn't dive into things, I think, like I would have done historically. So it took us a couple of months to really be like, okay, you know, we want to be in a relationship with each other now. And then from then, it's just been this really beautiful evolution of a partnership and getting to know each other and leaning into that vulnerability, you know, being able to be allow yourself to be seen in the parts that you usually hide away. And then also being loved and more for that has been tremendously powerful for me as a person, like having that container to feel safe in. And I also know how how rare and lucky I am to have found that. And yeah, it's been it's really been a really beautiful journey. And also he's as, you know, in introspective as I am and incredibly sensitive perceptive so not much gets past each other so we kind of can intuitively know how the other one is feeling pretty instantly so yeah it's been it's been a really very grateful for it very grateful for this chapter it's so lovely it's so nice to hear that you said that you both have that capacity for introspection how does that take place practically in the relationship to give yourself that time, I suppose, to sort of recover and introspect and then come back to each other. What's mm-hmm. the practical means of doing that? I wonder. So sort of through experience, trial and error and having the tools and the language. And by that, I mean, at the beginning, of course, when you're getting to know each other, you're always going to be activated in relationship. And then my nature perhaps is to be slightly more anxiously attached. So it's like, let's fix it now. I want to keep this conversation going until it's resolved. Whereas my partner's is more, I probably need time to kind of regulate. And when one person's nervous system is activated, it usually activates the other person. And that's part of the dance of relationship because we're usually drawn to people who are going to bring to the surface things that we need to heal. And that is not unique for my relationship. I think that is true of all relationships. It's just whether it's happening consciously or not is the question. So for us, it's doing the work independently so that we know what's happening and we have the language to say, I'm feeling activated or um, that triggered me in some way and knowing when to have the time apart and when to have the conversation. And what does that time apart look like in practice? Sometimes, I mean, it d- depends on on the sort of the situation, but I guess, you know, sometimes it's just being in different rooms for a bit. 
and sometimes it means going for a walk. It, it's each to their own, but I would just encourage people to know that, you know, if you have got a tendency to be anxiously attached like I do, it's taken me a while to learn that in relationship, having time apart in the heat of an argument is okay. It's not fatal. Yeah, completely. Because I, I suppose that the anxious attachment instinct would be to sort of, I mean, cling, if not if not physically or probably physically at least emotionally and say oh like make this right it's just it's horrible to sit with but actually I guess when you pragmatically realize that that's not going to get the best effect well you need to have the experience as well of because you know perhaps you've had like a parent that leaves or something like that so in your system in your body that feels real that you're Mm going to be abandoned because of what's happening so you, you you need to have the right relationship and be with the right person that's able to healthily communicate. We we need a bit of space and however long that space is going to be and then come back. And then once you have enough experiences of the coming back, the kind of reconciling, then you're like, oh, okay, okay, this is okay. So the next yeah. time it happens, you don't feel like everything is going to fall apart. That's really well put, I think. And uh, yeah, it's almost... We all come with different baggage. We all come with different childhood experiences. And I suppose, yeah, if you've seen the door slam and the the person not come back through the door for some time or at all, then it's very hard to imagine that it's yeah. a situation that can be healthy and conducive to a positive. Yeah, exactly. And also just to have compassion for yourself for feeling that way. Because I, I always think, well, I don't, I've recently realized that there's, there's like four people in a relationship. There's you, your partner, and both of your inner childs. And the inner childs take the wheel a lot. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. But it's like a beautiful thing when you can recognize, okay, like 13-year-old Kagi is suddenly feeling upset, abandoned, rejected, whatever it might be. And so allowing yourself the grace to make space for all of those parts of you and for your partners, I think is tremendously progressive for a healthy relationship. I think that's a really lovely way of putting it. I also really like, I think we were chatting the other week about how you'd taken a solo holiday to Devon to sort of uh, recalibrate after the amazing tour that you went on following the release of your Saturn Returns book. How how was that? And, and, and how was that to do that within a relationship because it's the first time you'd sort of gone, gone off and, and solo holidayed, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was heaven. It was honestly heaven. But me and my partner are both quite like he's gone and done stuff on his own, which I totally respect. And I love that about him. And yeah, I just was like, I need, I need to just switch off. I just want to go somewhere quite remote and just chill and do nothing. And I booked this lovely place in Devon. And I'm not going to lie, when I walked in the door initially, I wasn't feeling very confident in myself. And I say that because that then affected how I felt initially walking through the door, which was, oh my God, are people looking at me thinking like, who is this girl that's come on her own? Like, why is she on her own? All those kind of things. And I was like, whoa, I haven't had those thoughts in a while. And I had to kind of, you know, because I was very much... It was a small hotel with only about six or seven people staying in it. So very, very like intimate in a way. And so at dinner time, there was no restaurants to go to. So at dinner times and meal times, like I just have my seat set up on my own with my food. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. There was moments at the beginning where I felt quite self-conscious but I've been there before, like I've had that before and I just pushed through it. And then quite quickly, I felt very at ease. There were couples there that would say, oh, would you like to come? You know, I'd perhaps spoken to them. And they'd say, would you like to come and join us for dinner? And I would. And one couple was like a young couple that lived in Cornwall who was so sweet. And then another couple was like in their 70s. And I just, I, I went for walks on my own, just read, ate loads of cookies. They made amazing cookies there. And by the end, I was like, oh, I could do this all the time. And my partner's like so encouraging of that kind of stuff as well. Mm. So, and as soon as I was there, I was like, oh, I really miss it. But it was, it was nice. It's nice to 
miss each other and stuff. It is, yeah, it's it's you know it's it's sexy to then you know have that absence and then come back together. But you know, I, I suppose the idea of having a relationship where you can say to each other, oh, you know, go off and do that. Like, I totally understand what it means, and like, I, I really encourage that for you. It's kind of like having your cake and eating it, or I guess in your case, having your cookie and eating it. You know, it's really, it's, it's great because you think, well, I get to live a life. I get to have my independence and autonomy and be in a great relationship. How yeah. wonderful. I also love the honesty with which you described that because I, I feel that moment. I always feel like it's, it's almost like an initial assault course of navigating that situation alone because it's, mm-hmm. it's less typical to be alone in those scenarios than it is to be with someone else. The tables are set up for two. The hotel rooms are based on two people sharing. So I I love Mm. how you described that process and how you did have to sort of overcome that initial difficulty, but then lean into it. And it was so much more worthwhile for it. Yeah, because also the the older couple, when they sat down, because they were on the same table, but at the other end, and she sort of looked at me and she's like, she just was speaking to me that way. She's like, are you, oh, you're not a, I'm like, yes. And she, it almost did she, and then she was like, oh, oh, okay. Lovely. And she just couldn't quite process that, you know, a thirsty tree just, which in itself is sort of silly because it should be fine, but it was quite funny. She obviously found it initially quite, oh, was something wrong? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really, it's funny because I guess coming back to our conversation that we started this podcast with about how it's only recently in history that women have been able to do certain things. I think I, I get actually with my podcast, with, with my book, there's almost a secondary demographic of, of sort of women in their middle to later years coming to me and saying, Oh, this is the first time I've actually been alone. They might be divorced or they might be in a marriage and, and just starting to explore what doing things apart could look like and as much as I suppose as a sort of individual especially as an individual by themselves feeling a bit at times vulnerable it might be tempting to read that as I don't know rudeness or judgment but quite often it can also be mingled with quite a lot of curiosity and even Mm -hmm. you're almost probably inspiring people by your example it's it's funny because we never quite know what they're feeling yeah, because also the the younger couple that had invited me to sit with them, um, he said, he was like, are you, he was like, are you just traveling on your own? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, I respect that a lot. Mm. He was like, I love that. And he was like, my girlfriend's about to go to Sri Lanka for a month on her own. The thing is, when you do things on your own, like, I wouldn't have met those people had I been with my boyfriend or like we wouldn't have had the same kind of conversation. So it does force you out of your comfort zone in a way that's really healthy and just allows you to reconnect yourself completely i wonder because you know you you are a bit famous you were on a popular reality tv show for a while and people a lot of people will know you from that do you struggle with this sort of occasional lack of anonymity when doing things by yourself that most of us get to enjoy it does cross my mind yeah because like for instance when i went to Devon, like the people that owned the place knew who i was but they also knew i was coming but then the younger couple like had no idea. And then uh, like about a week ago, the girl messaged me on Instagram saying, we've just figured out who you are. <laughs> she was like, we feel like we live under a rock. She, no, she was like, it's confirmed. We do live under a rock. But it's not like I'm like, you know, super famous so that everyone's going to go. But it does. What I get is I love when people come up to me and they're like, oh, I love the podcast or Saturn Returns has really helped me. But usually I'll just get people like seeing me, but they don't necessarily, it's not that level of fame where it's like a thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, it's like, you know, I go every, pretty much every day I go and like work in this, in this restaurant on my own. I just go and sit at the bar and I just love being around people, but not having to talk to anyone. So my anonymity in a way has been actually really important. And I think when it was at its height, when I was doing Made in Chelsea, I found it hard then. Because then it really felt like I was overexposed in in a way. But whatever level I'm at now, I like. Mm, and I suppose also if being well-known is worth something, that that's what you want it to be so that you can start a lot more conversations around something that you're passionate about. Exactly. Finally, we're coming to the end of this of this recording, sadly, but I want to ask you the question that I finish every show with, which is... Uh, 
what is your personal alonement? I think, you know, on a larger scale, going away and having those nights on my own was really, really just incredible for me in every aspect. But I appreciate that that's not always accessible to people. So on a sort of smaller scale, actually carving out time to either just have a night in on your own, just stillness on the sofa for me, like putting on some incense, cleaning the flat, having some candles and having some like nice music and just being present with myself or taking myself off for like a yoga class. Yoga is like the, I think the best exercise in terms of alonement because you're really present with yourself and you're really having to move through things. And I feel like by the end of it, you've, you've worked stuff out like mentally and then taking yourself out for the odd meal, just having a book as your only company, I think is just a good practice for people to try out if they're wanting to dip their toe into practicing alonement. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope that one was a fun one to listen to, whether or not you're at your Saturn Returns age. I found Kagi so soothing and thoughtful. And it just speaks to why these conversations are so important as we navigate the inevitable ups and downs of life, oscillating all the time because we do between loneliness and healthy alonement. I love to stay in touch with listeners to this show and the best way to do that and the best way to do that is to subscribe to my Substack mailing list at francescaspector.substack.com where I'll also be sharing some bonus content from this season. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.